In a world where it seems like there's so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who are spending their lives doing and seeing the good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. And I am thrilled to have Christy Davis on the podcast today. Christy has been happily married for 26 years. She's a mother to seven fabulous human beings and a grandma to the cutest kids in all the land. She is a certified life coach specializing in family relationships, and she loves the work that she does. She loves fresh flowers and soft bed sheets. She does not love cockroaches or high heels. Me neither. (laughs) Long, long ago, Christy recorded an album of Christmas music with her sisters that she sold in local bookstores. She once had lunch with a member of the mafia. That is interesting. And is getting ready to celebrate her 50th birthday with a family backpacking trip. Christy does private coaching for parents who want to enjoy their teenagers more. And I think that goes for every single parent in every single part of the country (laughs) who doesn't want to know how to just love and enjoy their teenagers more. She also has a podcast called Liking the People You Love. Welcome to Doing Good, Christy. Thank you. And those, some of those little fun facts are a little bit old now. So we did the backpacking trip. I, I was did going to ask my you. Okay. Yeah. okay, where did you go take so your backpack? We went trip? up near Bend, Oregon, in the Wilmette National Forest. It was called the Mackenzie River Trail, and it was amazing. It was all I hoped and dreamed. It's been on my bucket list forever, and it was just fabulous. Oh, that sounds incredible. Well, happy 50th. So when was Thank that you. birthday? Birthday was in March. We did the backpacking trip in the fall, so in October before the birthday. So I sort of got to celebrate many times. How fun. Turning 50 is like a big deal to me. So we kind of did that big. <laughs> that is, that is a big deal. It's, I know yeah. when you kind of hit that like halfway mark, you know, mm-hmm. halfway to a hundred. Yeah. Yes. It is something to be celebrated. Did you ever, did you have any kind of midlife crisis when you turned 50 or 40? No, actually no. Birthdays had never felt like a big deal to me at all until 50. And it didn't feel like a crisis. It just felt more of like a big accomplishment, like in a celebration. And I have decided since my 50th birthday, I've decided, okay, every year I'm going to check off something big off my bucket list. Like I'm not going to go quietly from here on out. I am going to live big. And so it's been really fun for me. I love that. Live big. What do you think it is about getting older that makes people finally make that decision. Like, why don't we do this in our twenties and in our thirties? Like, what is it just because we're too busy? We have lots of kids. What is it about getting older that we're like, okay, now I'm going to start living. Well, for me, I think it was, I just didn't realize how fast it was all going to go. Yeah. You know, you get so caught up in the diaper changes and the running kids to lessons and sports, and you just don't realize how fast life goes. And so as my perspective has changed, I realized, wait, I still have a lot of stuff I want to do. I think that is absolutely true that the older my kids get, the faster time goes. And they say, you know, when they're young, like the days feel like years, but the years feel Mm -hmm. like days. And it's so totally true. true. My oldest is 14. He'll be 15 the end of this year. And I cannot believe that I have four more years with him. Like, well, who knows? I mean, he, he may live with us till he's 30, but four more years of, you know, childhood yeah. in our home before it's yeah. like, okay, fly away, little boy. And yeah. that is 
wrecking me. So I want to have my number five move out. Oh, I only have two. I have seven kids and only two of them are left. Well, I have the mother daughter. They they keep coming home. It's not like they're gone forever, but like I living at home, like as a child, I only have a 14 year old and 11 year old left. And it's just so quiet and so weird at my house. What is that like that transition for you and your kids having siblings move on and move out? It's sad for my littles. Like they have, they say often, like, I wish I lived in the good old days when everybody was at home. So they love it, love, love, love it when everybody comes home. And luckily my kids do love to come home. They love to be together. And so we do get the family together often. And how old is your oldest right now? She's 26. Okay. I think. 25 or 26. But yeah, so she lives in a guest house in my backyard with her three little kids and her husband. So I get to see them every day. And then Um, I have a 21 who's about to turn 24. She also lives with me. She has a little baby and she lives with me. And then I have three boys who are off, you know, seeking their fortunes in the world right now. (laughs) And they come home often. (laughs) So it's good. It's busy in a different way and just so happy and so good. Something my mom always says that I have adopted and decided to believe on purpose is that life just keeps getting better. And so, yeah, there's hard things about every phase. But really, in general, I believe that life just keeps getting better and better. Oh, well, and I agree with that. And you... It's like you appreciate it more. Like my husband and I have kind of turned into ball babies as we've been getting older. He just turned 40 this year and Mm -hmm. he has cried. He'll probably hate me for saying this, but more in the last year than I've ever seen him. It's like there's this like holding on and this tenderness that's like, wait, I love this and I love my life. And I want to, like you said, enjoy and cherish this. And every moment feels like a gift. It, It just, it really does. Yeah. And I would say the same thing about my husband. The older he gets, the more tender and emotional he gets. I mean, I've always been a crybaby. Me too. Like, I cry over everything. But yeah, yeah, I watched my husband just really appreciate the little things in life. And we're just loving it. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. So Chrissy, tell me a little bit about your parenting style and why you have felt like this is your life mission to help parents enjoy particularly the hard years, the teenage Mm -hmm. years with their children. Okay. So my parenting style, I would say has really evolved. I'm going to tell you kind of what I consider the turning point into this new parenting style. Because when my kids were little, I was super structured and we had organized playdates. I was like the one in the neighborhood that would get everybody together and we would do craft days and field trip days and super structured and fun. And I loved it. And we have chore charts and we've always been very consistent with scriptures and prayers and all the things. And it was working great for such a long time. Yeah. And then, then, so my third, I have two girls first and my third child was a boy and he is the most independent soul I have ever met. I think I was, so I was telling you before we started recording, this is the kid that at eight years old told me like, mom, if I wanted to, I could move out and support myself right now. I'm just oh fine without you. Why do you keep on trying to tell me that I have to brush my teeth and that I have to eat my vegetables? Like, leave me alone. I'm fine by myself. So like one of mine super independent. So we've always kind of struggled with that with him. Yeah. And then when he was about 15, he went through this stage where he was sneaking out all the time, he and his friends. And they would go to Denny's or they would go, who knows what they would do, but they would do it all the time. And I thought as a responsible parent, it was my job to put a stop to this 
like reckless behavior, right? It's not safe. I need to know where he is. None of them have licenses. And yet somehow they were still getting around. So I tried everything I could think of to control that behavior, to get him to stop sneaking out. And so I would, we grounded him when we, when we found out we would, you know, like I put tape over his door so I could tell if the door had opened in the middle of the night. I tried like putting things outside of his door so it would wake me up. I tried to move an alarm. <laughs> oh my, did you have an alarm I, system? No, we don't have one at our house. Okay. So, okay. But so at one point I said to him in frustration, I was like, do we have to like really seriously, do we have to install an alarm system? Yeah. Do we have to get surveillance cameras so I know when you're coming out of your room? Yeah. And he got this funny smirk on his face and he's like, that would be a really fun challenge. Oh, I was like, heavens. what the heck? Like there is no stopping this kid from sneaking out, which at the time it felt super frustrating, but it was actually a turning point for me when I realized there comes a point in my kid's life where I no longer am capable of controlling them. And this kid was six, four, super athletic. Like there's nothing I can do about it. I cannot, if he sucks his mind, physically restrain him. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way. And so once I learned to let that go and decide, okay, if it's not my job to control him, what is my job with this kid? And that started this journey of discovery for me, just a completely different way of thinking about my role as a parent, especially as a parent of teenagers and young adult children that doesn't involve manipulation or control, but really honors their agency and So my style, if I were to describe it now, my style of parenting older teens and young adults is much more of a mentoring style and a guide than somebody who's trying to set their course for them. My style is more of who do you want to be and how do you want me to help you get there? What can I do to support you? Okay, Christy, I'm going to be honest with you. That scares me to death. (laughs) That (laughs) it is. It it, is scary. It scares me to death because. So far, I my fourteen year old and and the one coming right up next to him, my twelve year old, are I would say very like letter of the law boys. Like mm-hmm. they're very obedient. They're black and white. Like mom so says nice. no. Like the biggest thing he does to rebel is like read later. You know, yeah. like he'll like stay up until ten thirty reading. Like this is, yeah. but the next two numbers three and number four, I can already see like. Oh, this is a challenge. And to yeah. the point where like, I've already had physical arguments, like you will wear your backpack. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, or it, you know, he's going to school and it's snowing outside and he's wearing shorts. And I'm like, I will not be the mom that sends my son. And they walk to school. So he's walking in yeah. snow and shorts. Like you have to wear pants and I'm physically putting pants on him while he's kicking me. You're not in charge of me. And I'm like, That's yes, I am. With that when he's six, four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I can see that with this child, me saying you have to wear pants won't work when he, and this is, yeah. this is scary to me because what do you do? Because you do have to keep them safe and you do want to teach them respect and obedience and like for their safety, like you're out until two in the morning with some, like that's scary. And that actually could be, I mean, detrimental to your health, you know, staying out all night, but, but what, what can you do? So you said, okay, well, I'm just going to, did you just kind of say, well, then I guess there's no boundaries or rules. Like how did you transition and get him then to want to obey you and trust you of his own free will and choice, which by the way, that is so hard. Agency. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the goal, right? That's the 
hope is that he will want to obey. Here's what we did. I'm not saying this is the right way necessarily for everyone. This is, we were very prayerful about it. This is what we felt like was right with this kid is we said, okay, for your own safety, we gave him all the reasons why we believed it was important for him to be home. And I said, obviously we cannot control you. And so I give up trying to control you. I am asking you to do this out of respect for your parents. And he said, no, sorry, I'm not going to give you that promise because I want to be a man of my word. And I know I would break that promise. So I'm not going to promise you that. And I said, okay, well, anytime we catch you, anytime we hear about you sneaking out, this will be your consequence. We would like ground him or whatever. And he'd be like, okay, that's fine. I'm willing to I'm willing to be grounded. And of course he was willing to be grounded. He'd stay home until we go to sleep and then sneak out. Like, so exactly. it really did nothing. Right. But, but we were doing what we could. I felt like it wasn't right for us to say, fine, then do whatever you want. We're out. Yeah. Right. So we were still sticking by, you know, we believe this is right. This is our job to teach you. And we're going to do it by giving this consequence. And then it has to be on you. The rest has to be on you. And if you get in an accident or if you get pulled over or whatever, that's going to be a real bummer for you, but we we're doing our part here. And so did the sneaking out gradually stop or did he yeah. still do it? He still did it for a while. Eventually he got bored of it. I think like it, the novelty of it wore off. Cause now, you know, and you're like, Hey, it's more, was it more of like a, it I wasn't, it was not a quick fix. Like he wasn't like, okay, my parents stopped trying to force me. Now I'm going to do what they want. Like it was not that at all. It was just very much. He's like, well, I know that I'm safe. I know that I'm being smart. So you'll just have to trust me on this, which of course we didn't, but yeah, really nothing more we could do. So we had to figure out which part was our part, which part was his part. And then the rest, we just learned to turn over to the Lord. And say, okay, it's your angel's turn. You yep. can watch him yep. tonight. And this kid, he must have some serious guardian angels. <laughs> Don't you feel like that? That at the, I look at some of my boys and I think, whoever was assigned to you, they've got Bless them. <laughs> and I and I actually firmly believe Christy. At every time that we go to the temple or they go to the temple and we do work for our ancestors, we are building up the safety army of 100%. angels. That's why I, that's one of the reasons why I keep taking Nates to the temple. Like I need as many people in my army for my kids as I can get. 100%. So, so tell me how old this boy is now. So he's 22. He ended up going on a mission, serving a faithful mission and really like excelling and thriving. Where did he, he, what's that? Sorry. Where did he go? Where did he He serve? So he was called to El Salvador and then it was all during that COVID time. So he ended up going to Baton Rouge, Louisiana for the first little bit. And like, he didn't, he didn't receive his endowments before he left because all the temples were closed. It was that time, you know? So he was in his mission for like six months before he ever went through the temple. We went out there to Louisiana to go through the temple with him. And then about a year into it, he got transferred to El Salvador. And so he spent the second year there. Wow. it was hard. He also had some really hard things. He had a, a girlfriend that he was planning on marrying that passed away shortly after he left. Oh. Um, so he he had some struggles on his mission and he did some really hard things and he had health troubles in El Salvador. And I just was so proud of him. So he now he's home. He got home about a year ago. He is in Dallas right now. He's starting his own window washing company and he's got a bunch of guys working for him and 
he's just killing it. He's doing so great. That is so great. You're it, yeah. it, it's so that's so just reassuring and hopeful for me mm -hmm. to hear as a mom, like the ones that you're like, man, if you can use this drive for good, you'll set the world on fire. But you're just mm -hmm. hoping like, but please use it. <laughs> right. Use it for the good. So it's so hopeful to hear as a mom, like, look at he's learned some hard lessons and some of them like my older two, we can say this is wrong and they'll say, okay. The younger two will say this is wrong. They're like, okay, Why? I'll try it to make sure I know. But I'll, right. I'll, 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 I believe you, but I have to also try it. Yeah. And that is like, oh my goodness, so hard. It is until you remember that that's actually the point of coming to earth, right? To learn by our experience. And I have... I have decided to just believe that that's okay. Like, of course, I'm going to give my kids all the tools I can. I'm going to, I'm going to give them the best advice. If they choose to take it, great. They're going to save themselves a lot of trouble. Yeah. If they don't and they have to learn some hard lessons, that's actually really okay. Because we preach to them that we believe in the atonement. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But then if what they see is us being terrified for them to make real mistakes, do we really believe in the atonement? Right. I think it's really asking us to put our money where our mouth is. You know, if we can relax a little bit and allow our kids to make mistakes if they choose to without yeah. freaking out. Yeah. I think that shows them that, no, we have faith in the plan. You are so right. And I, I often look to the scriptures in the Book of Mormon in particular. There's some amazing examples of parents that just poured their heart and soul out for these, their wild boys. And since I have yeah. all boys, it's, and, and I think about, you know, sweet Lehi and he had, of course, the Nephi and Sam and Jacob that are amazing than his rebellious kids. And they didn't end up turning around. I mean, they would, they'd repent and then go back and then repent and yeah. then go back and then ultimately decided not to, you know, live the way that he wanted. And that's hard, but, oh, they were such righteous parents and did everything they can. And then you have, Alma and you have the sons of Mosiah who were terrible. And then they're just, their pleadings from their parents. They even said like, it's because of your parents that I decided to intervene. Because yep. I love that. <laughs> I love it. And, and they did. And then they served amazing missions and turned out to be incredible men. And so you're right is they were the ones that were like, yeah, we have to just experience things and yeah. learn from our own experience, the, you know, good from bad. Mm -hmm. And then they turned out to be incredible leaders and missionaries and dedicating their lives to heavenly father. And then you have Moroni, you know, that, that was like stalwart from the beginning, you know, and Mormon. And, the, and so it's so interesting that all the parents did the right things and some of the kids turned followed and some of them didn't, some came back, some didn't. So I, I think sometimes as a mom, I get into the, I have to do it exactly right. Oh, I'm getting emotional because I, I just have to, I have to have them turn out well. Like it's my own, what would I do if one of them fell away? What would I do if one of them chose a different path? Like it's up to me. And sometimes that weight and that burden is really heavy to be like, I have to force them to do this. I have to. And so it's hard for me sometimes to remember. And like you are teaching and, and have said like, we can't, it, it, we can't, we do the best that we can. And then they have to have agency. So how were you able with your son and with your other kids to, to really turn them over to the Lord and say, I will do the best I can and not feel 
like, where have I failed as a mom to not feel like that guilt of, oh, if I only did this and if I only did that, maybe I worked too much. Maybe I was gone. Maybe I didn't read them books. And I mean, you go through all the things in your mind. Like I do. How do you let go of that? So I think first of all, we have to recognize because there's a part of us that thinks that's going to be helpful, right? I think that's the whole reason we're searching for what did I do wrong so that I can change that with my next kids or whatever. Yeah. So, but we have to really pay attention. Okay. So when I, when I'm thinking that, when I'm stuck in that spiral of how did I fail? I feel like so much shame. I feel this heavy weight. Like you said, how do I interact with my kids when I'm feeling shame and this heavy weight and this fear, then I probably am more naggy with them. Like it's hard on a relationship. I try to manipulate them and control them, which actually pushes them further away. Absolutely. So I think we have to be realistic and recognize that that is not helpful. Those are not the kind of feelings that come from the spirit. Those are the kind of feelings that Satan wants us to have because that will get us bogged down. Sometimes we even turn to like scrolling social media or taking naps or yes. like distancing ourselves because it's so painful to feel like a failure all the time yes. that we want to turn our attention to other things to distract us. I mean, Satan loves that, right? If he can pull us off course like that. So it's not helpful to tell ourselves that we're a failure and it's not true. Like you just gave all these examples of parents that are such good and faithful parents, even our heavenly parents who lost a third of their children. Like it's just not true that if children go astray, it's because of their parents. And even in the cases where it is true, because our brains know that, yeah, we're not perfect. Like there are things that I did that probably my kids are going to need to go to therapy for later. Even that is part of the plan. Yeah. Because every human who's ever been born, including Jesus Christ, he was born to an imperfect mother. Yeah. Right. So it's part of the plan that we make mistakes. So if we are being faithful and doing what we know how to do, then the rest has to be on our kids and turned over to the Lord. It's not our job to save anyone. Thankfully, we have a savior who's really good at his job. It's our job to do our best and then turn the rest over to him. So I I love that response. And, and I want to kind of dive deeper yeah. into that if we can. Why do you think that that is part of the plan? Because it can be, even if we know all this, it can be so painful to live that and to feel maybe judgments of others like, oh, look at their child and look what they mm-hmm. did. And and I've even felt that as a mom, like, well, have you tried this? And and you're like, if you only knew like the hours, oh, I'm so emotional this morning. Yeah. I've spent praying about this child, g- doing ev- research, therapy, coaching, counseling, like with each of my boys, like the out, like it, it, to the point where it consumes my every thought about, oh, what should I do? What should I do? And then it seems like you get one, like you rescue one. Here's your life. Oh, good. Now you're okay. Now here goes another one drowning. Like, wait, wait, wait. Totally different area. Completely. And you're like, wait a minute. So you're constantly like, who's drowning? Who's drowning? Who needs me? Who needs me? And, and you're trying to tread water yourself and, and, and stay afloat. And you're constantly just, oh my gosh, who needs me? Who needs me? Why do you think that is 
oh, look, here comes my dog. She, whenever I get emotional, she comes over to oh, me. Like, are you okay? Are you all right? Here she is. So why do you think that is? Why is that part of the plan for it to be hard and to learn those hard lessons and to suffer and and have to watch our kids suffer. I think that's the hardest thing is knowing they're making hard choices, knowing that they'll be happier if they would just listen to you and then watching them. not. Why do you think that Heavenly Father said, this is the way it has to be? So I have a couple of thoughts about that. First, I want to start with your analogy of trying to stay afloat, which I love and I totally relate to. I know exactly how that feels. And it makes me think of the story in the New Testament where Peter wants to walk on the water out to join Jesus, right? And he gets started. He has enough faith to get out of the boat and to start walking. And then he gets distracted by the wind and the waves. And as soon as he takes his focus off of Jesus, he starts to sink. Yep. And the only way to get back where he needed to be back to safety is to reach out and grab onto the Savior with both hands and zero in his focus back to Jesus. Yes. I think that's also the answer for us. And I think that's why there are wind and waves in this lifetime. I think that's why we need to go through hard things because it it teaches us how to zero our focus back in on the Savior and how to cling to Him with both hands. Oh, I love that thought. And as you were telling, as you were saying that, I I, I had just this image come to mind of being Peter, you know, walking out across the water and how he physically reached down for Peter. He didn't, he could have, he could have made the waves just carry him back up to the surface. Mm-hmm. Like he could have just have sat said, okay. And just, well, he could have let him not drown in the first place. Right. You he know, uh-huh. yeah, he, he could have just said, I- I'm just not going to let you, I'm not going to let you fear. Even when you fear, I'm just going to allow the waves to hold you up. I'm not going to let you go under. Yeah. But he let him learn that. And then he came to him and physically pulled him Oh, I love that thought of the Savior physically coming to us and pulling us out instead of just not letting bad things happen in the first place, but coming to us when they do. Yeah. Here's my other thought. So the part about why do we have to watch our kids do hard things? Yes. We have to remember what the point of life is. The point of life is to understand the difference between good and evil. And sometimes we think the point is to to get on the covenant path and stay there and never stray off and never make any mistakes, which sounds really lovely, right? That would be, that would be my vote. (laughs) Right. But that's kind of like when Adam and Eve were introduced in the garden of Eden, they could stay on the covenant path. They could never partake of the fruit and stay exactly how they were, but they couldn't progress that way. The way to progression is through experience. Yes. And so, our kids are never going to make a mistake that they were already too smart to make. Like if they already understood a principle, they wouldn't need to do things the hard way. If they're choosing a if they're choosing the hard way, it's because there's something there they need to learn and they're that's how they're going to progress. Oh, that's an I don't think I've ever thought of it that way. That is interesting. If they're choosing something that they that knowingly the hard way, it's because there's something there for them to learn. Even if they feel like, okay, well, my parents say this, my parents know this. I don't yet know this for myself. Mm-hmm. That Okay. So tell me, give me an example of when you have watched one of your children go through this and how you responded. How can we respond as parents 
when they've made a mistake, big or small, without losing it and making them feel like, wow, what a dummy. Can't believe you've done that. So I, this child that I've been talking about, I, he is so great because he has given me permission to share. He's pretty open about his struggles and he doesn't mind me sharing. So I specifically asked him about some of these things. So just know that everything I share, I have permission to share from this child. So as an older teenager, he really struggled with pornography. And I, we had all the rules in place. Like he didn't have a smartphone. This was a long time ago. He actually had a flip phone that he lost all the time. Like we found other ways. Yeah. And he had a problem with pornography that was painful for me to watch. And I kept offering, Hey, there's some online programs that I think would help. There's, you know, I would give him suggestions. He's like, no, no, I, I can figure this out. I can do this on my own. I was like, okay, so you let me know how I can help. And he would say like, I need you to check in with me once a week or whatever. So I would, I would offer to, I would help in the way that he asked for. And it just was a struggle for a long time. It's a habit that he couldn't seem to kick. And it was hard to watch. And I told him at one point, I said, you know, that scene in the cars movie where he's going around the dirt track, lightning McQueen's going around the dirt track. Yes. Like just skids off the side. He slams on his brake and just skids off the side. I'm like, I feel like you're doing that over and over again. And if you would just let me put up some guardrails for you, you can make the turn. And he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to make the turn. Don't you worry. Like, I'm going to get it figured out, but I'm going to do it my way. It's like, okay. I'm going to turn right to go left. I'm going to figure out how to do that. Yep. And you know what? He did. He figured it out. He did eventually say, okay, I'd like some, you know, tell me about these online programs. And so we got him some help and he did. And he got himself worthy and ready and he served a mission. And he now has such a firm testimony and some real skills. So now he has these conversations with his younger brothers all the time. He's like, hey, trust me, I did this and it did not work try this instead. And his brothers totally believe him because he has real life experience. Yes. And he's like, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I think he's better off now than if he had never had that problem. So let's talk about that briefly because I have four boys and, mm-hmm. and I know for a fact, it's not if, but when they see right. it yeah. and, and discover it. And like, I think we're, I think we're at the point, hopefully now as society that we know it's, you know, it, it's just, it's so prevalent. And so we are yeah. trying to teach our boys what to do when they come across it and see it mm-hmm. and how to respond after the fact, instead of avoid it. Because none of my boys have smartphones either. Mm-hmm. It pop. I, I can't even tell you all the ways we're watching TV as a family. We're watching a jazz game. There's a Victoria's Secret commercial. I mean, it's totally. just like, it's everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. And even with their filters on for school, they, there are ways to get around those and there's YouTube stuff with weird commercials that are just click this link. And anyway, so I know it's, it is rampant. It's everywhere. So with pornography in particular, if there's moms out there, you know, listening, is there, you know, I know there's a lot of scare around it. Like don't do it because the minute you do, you're going to be addicted and it sucks you in. It changes your brain. It's like a drug, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and we've told our boys these things, but I also feel like I would be naive to think that e- even just out of curiosity, they, they wouldn't maybe look again yeah. or they wouldn't be interested. Yeah. And we try to tell our boys, like, it's a good thing to have those desires. Like Heavenly Father created sexual desires in us for yeah. a wonderful, beautiful, amazing reason to have families. And, I, and it's so uncomfortable when we talk about it, but we do. And we say it, it's a good thing to want to see girls naked, 
That's yeah. that, that totally. you are going to be able to do that when you're married and it's going to be incredible and you get to look forward to that. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's healthy. So, so if, if, if your child goes down that road and, and you know that they're starting to look or maybe be curious, how can you give parents hope of recovery? Because there, there is this fear of like, once they're gone, they're gone forever. And that's not true. And so it's, how- just, it's just one of Satan's lies to keep people stuck in fear. It's not true. The atonement of Jesus Christ is the ultimate proof that people can change. Nobody's lost forever. Yeah, there are hard things to come back from, but people can change and they do it all the time. I think that fear is never the best motivator for anything. Like fear is not one of Heavenly Father's tactics. Yep. What he wants us to feel empowered in our own lives. And so I actually love, I don't know if you've heard of Emily Jones. Yes. I love the way she talks about this. She talks about the value of helping them develop their own internal filter. And she has some really specific strategies and ways to do that. And we've used her program with some of my younger boys. And I think it is powerful. I agree. When we let them be the, the leaders in their own life and we don't approach it with the, the, the attitude of, okay, I'm going to protect you because you're not strong enough or smart enough to avoid this. And so I'm going to have to step in and take this over for you. But when we approach it rather from, I know you're a good kid and you are perfectly capable of living in this world and still staying clean and worthy. Now, now here, we're going to help you. We're going to support you in who you're trying to be. I love that. And I would second vouch for the family tech university courses. My two older boys did those as well. And I mm-hmm. love them and they use gospel based principles, but also so much research. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like a little program designed for before kids start heavy computer use before junior high or to, before they get a smartphone to just teach yeah. them when they see something how does that make you feel? What do you do not to be ashamed to be open about it? Because like you said, Satan works in fear and darkness and the more he can keep it hidden, hidden, hidden. That's where addiction can drive. And when you bring it out in the open, Hey, I saw pornography today and you give it a voice and you talk about it. It loses that hold. It loses its power. Yep. So what would you say, Christy, to moms? I don't have daughters. I have four boys and Mm -hmm. I've heard, women say before and, and, and even daughters like, Oh, I would, um, here I am getting emotional again. You know, I, I could never marry someone that had a porn addiction. I could never date someone that looked at pornography. And, and I, and I feel like, and, and, and not saying, of course, like I've seen pornography destroy marriages and, and absolutely like we want to avoid that. The goal is to avoid Mm -hmm. that and not get into it. But for, for children like your son that have experienced that and have been through that, what would you maybe say to those moms or to those girls that please don't overlook amazing, wonderful young men that have, have had this, that are actively repentant and have been forgiven of that? Does that make sense, that question? Totally. Yes. And, and this is going to have to be such, like President Nelson's telling us, we are not going to survive unless we understand personal revelation, right? Because this is going to be one of those things that you can only discern through the spirit. Like if this relationship is healthy for me, you can only know that through the spirit, like ultimately. But yeah, I don't think it's a deal breaker. I think some warning signs are, are they open about it? Are they talking about it? Are they, 
are they working on it? That's a completely different story than somebody who is denying it and you discover it on their phone and they're trying to hide it and deny it. They're in a completely different place than somebody who is talking to talking to you about it, talking to their bishop about it, working on it. It's a very different story. Do you feel like this is something when our young young men and young women are getting ready to get married? A conversation they should have before like hey just so you know every couple should have this conversation for sure yeah so it, tell me as a mom christy what when you first found this out what was how do we respond when we when we discover any kind of sin any kind of addiction that our kids are struggling with and going through that initial reaction of <gasps> you know, of course it's no, how could you, how do yeah. we respond in love and in trust? So our kids will come to us when they are teenagers, when they're struggling with little things or big things. Yeah. So a couple of common mistakes that I see parents making when their kids come to them with things is number one, freaking out. And even if we have a different version of freaking out than our kids do, right? Cause sometimes we think, I know I'm handling it pretty well when what we're really doing is like, when did that happen? Who introduced you to that? What it, you know, we're like interrogating or whatever. Yeah. And our kids will interpret that as freaking out. So very true. Yeah. So we have to learn to not just try and mask it because teenagers are so darn smart. If we're faking it, they're going to catch on. But if we can really get ourselves to a place where like, okay, yeah, hard things are going to happen. My kids are going to do stupid things and it's going to be okay. Like if we're approaching it, life in general, from that perspective, it's going to be so much easier to not freak out. We have the funniest story of this. So one time my daughter, she was in high school. My husband went her to pick her up from something and he's like, so what'd you and your friends do tonight? And she's like, oh, we smoked a little weed. We like, she just listed off a few things and in there was smoking weed. And my husband's like, huh, <laughs> I've never, I've never tried that. What did that feel like? And she's like, What? Oh my gosh, Dad! You believed me, and he's like, "Oh, phew. oh, oh, oh that's not funny." <laughs> like, hey, I did really good. I didn't freak out. We were. It was like a trial run for him, you know. <laughs> and we have actually since then have kids who have smoked weed. So it's a good thing that we got to practice. Well, it's a good thing you got that practice. You're like, oh, really? Okay, well. Tell right. me, tell me more. Yeah. That so I think that's a great initial response. No matter what they say is tell me more about that. Tell me more. And that honestly, oh man, that being curious and, and, and have being the type of person that your kids, can, that's my biggest thing. I said, we can get through anything together. If you talk yeah. to me about it, I can't help you if you don't tell me. And so I work really yeah. hard when they're like, mom, guess what? I'm like, Oh, it's like that. There's like a, there's a video with Steve Martin. I don't know what it is. And his daughter opens up to him and he just listens. And then she's like, thanks so much, dad. And she goes out and he grabs a pillow and screams in it. Yeah. <laughs> like That's kind of how I feel like, Oh, tell me more about this. And then you just, as they leave, you're like, yep. what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I can totally relate to that. So first thing we don't want to do is freak out. Second thing we have to be careful that we don't do is make it about us somehow. Okay. Make it like, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. Oh my gosh, what are the neighbors going to think? Oh my gosh, where have I failed as a mother, right? Yes. If we make it about ourselves, then we're not in a place where we're able to help them. We're just trying to figure ourselves out and keep ourselves afloat. So we have to make sure that we don't make it about ourselves. 
that is such great advice and that that's important too which it kind of leads me to my next question about how we talk to our teenagers and and how the conversations that we have with them to get them to open up to us with with right. my older two they're more introverted they're they're mm -hmm. more quiet and we have dinner conversations and we do goods and bads like tell us about your day and it's like one word answers and we're always like I tell know. me more say more and we're and we're like by the way if if ever it is too uncomfortable around the dinner table talk to us at night and come to us in our bedroom and say actually i had this really awful thing happen at school today yeah. sometimes it'll be days later and they'll be like remember when you asked me how my day was let me tell you how it really was i'm like why didn't you say this three days ago it's like they have to yeah. process it or something but what do you do when your child comes to you and and or or you come to them and you're talking to them and they start getting maybe defensive or talking disrespectful or sassy when do you know when to keep pushing of like no we need to discuss this or when to say okay i can see this isn't a productive conversation let's take a break and talk about tomorrow because i'm the type of person and my husband knows this like i have to beat things until they are dead like i have to talk <laughs> about them until you cannot talk about it anymore because otherwise it sits in my brain and i obsess about it i can't think about anything else i have to say yeah. everything i need to say otherwise it just stews inside me and it's like this like toxic boiling potion that i have to yeah. get out but i've also learned that that's maybe not healthy for my relationships to do that. So right. how do you know when to keep pushing and like, we are going to discuss this now or let's take a breather, let's talk about this later. How do you know when to do that? Again, I wish there was a like one right answer for this. So much of it is gonna have to be the spirit because I've had times where I have been like, the spirit is like telling me, okay, get out of your bed. You need to go talk about this thing. And then there are times when I want to talk about this thing and the spirit's like, nope, let this one go. Oh. So I, that's ultimately the answer is you have to follow the spirit. But then also a question that I ask myself is, okay, is me talking about this right now going to make it better? Yeah. Which so often the answer is no. Right. Okay, if I say this thing I want to say right now, is it going to make the situation better? No, it's not. It's yep. going to make them mad at me. It's going to push them away. They're going to want to run away from me. They're going to, right? Yeah. So that's a question I ask myself all the time. Is the thing, this thing that I want to say so bad, is it going to make the situation better? The answer is no, don't say it. Just wait. <laughs> that is wise and so hard to do. And, and so you're hard. Right. like, I think maybe the number one skill that parents of teenagers need to practice and learn is the skill of just biting your tongue. Ooh. Because. because we yeah. have so like so much to say, so many things we want to tell them, but sometimes the more we try and teach, and this is something I'd work with my clients on, I talk about all the time, is there's a such thing as too much teaching and too yes. much talking with teenagers. And sometimes the more we try to talk to them, the more they push away from us. And so we have to learn to just bite our tongue sometimes and let things play out. I completely agree with that. And, and that's a lesson I'm learning is, with new teenagers is I f sometimes have, again, it comes back to probably fear. I have mm -hmm. four more years with you. Like sometimes what can I, I cram in? Have I taught everything? Can I cram it? Even like, have I not taught you to like brush your teeth before you go to school? Like, did you brush your teeth? Did you do your hair? Did you get your homework? Did right. you get your Chromebook? Did you get your shoes? Blah, 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 blah. And they're and like, imagine if the person in your house 
like every conversation started with, did you, did you do, do, did, did you get this done? Did you do this? How is this great? Like, of course they want to avoid us. That's yeah. so fun. I know. And it's true. My son gets home from school. I'm like, how was your day? Do you have any homework? <laughs> right. It, it, it's because it's because sometimes he doesn't need, and oh, I forgot to turn that in. Why do you have an F in that assignment? Oh yeah. Like, but I asked you, you know, but right. then, but me asking. So this is funny that. that we're talking about this because I, this week's podcast episode on my podcast was about this, like how to improve your communication with your teenagers. And I gave oh. three, three tips. So if you're interested, my podcast is called liking the people you love. And I go into this quite a bit more. What is the name of the pot of the episode called? The episode is communication with teenagers. Okay. Liking the people you Liking love. Liking the people you love is the name of the podcast. And this episode from this week, well, at this probably won't be this week anymore, right? When this airs, but yes, but the, the, the episode was called communication with teenagers. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that is so important because honestly, all I want, it, it's like, it, Tina Fey was describing it. She's like, having a teenager is kind of like having an office crush. You're like, hey. I've seen that meme. That is so. Don't you love that? And you're like, like some of us describe are going dinner. Like, I don't know if you want to come. You probably are busy. You probably don't. But do you want to come eat dinner with them? You might not want to. And it's so <laughs> true. It's like, some of us are going to like go for a drive. If you want to come with us, you can. And do you want to sit by me? But no you big deal. Like, I don't care if you come or not, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't care, but, but but you know, just if you wanted to, it's, it's so funny. true. You're like walking on eggshells, like, hey, do you want to do this? And I, with my older boys, I I just we do forced hugs. Like I do like eight second hugs, and we hug each other. I'm like, this is good. Like it or not, I'm gonna hug you. I'm gonna hug you. I'm gonna hug you until it's uncomfortable, and that's just something that we do. Yeah. And it's and it's funny because we've started these like Sunday facial massages at night, and I'm like, how can I? Give physical touch, yes, to my boys. Amazing. Oh, we did it like this one week because they were all fighting and crazy. And I just had this thought come to my mind, like, they're going to lay in our bed and we turn off the lights. And my husband turned on some sounds of Puerto Rico. He served his mission in Puerto Rico. So the Koki frogs and we turned on like rainforest sounds and they all laid in bed and we gave them like, we did two at a time. We gave them 10 minute face massages. So we did two on two. And then we switch. Gosh, I love that so much. Oh, and now every Sunday they're like, it doesn't matter how late we get home. They're like, okay, so massages tonight. And we're like, Oh, what, if <laughs> what we, did we do? What did we do? But it's like this one time where it's even my 14 year old. I'm like, Oh, does he think this weird is mom? He asks for it. Like, mom, do we get massages tonight? And it's like this little opportunity to like, no matter how much I yelled at you today, no matter how much yeah. we fought, like to physically like transfer my love to you and for you yep. to feel that in this like calm, sweet, relaxing environment. Like and I may say special memory that is going to be for them forever. I hope so. I hope so. Because so many times during the day, I think, Oh, I'm completely messed this up. <laughs> yeah. But here's a way of just, let me just show you that Pretty I love better. you. Yeah. And right before bed, I love it. That's so right beautiful. before bed. So Christy, if people are like, okay, I, 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 I really want to have a better relationship with my teenagers or preteens or adult mm-hmm. children. I know you do coaching and, and you have a podcast as well. So tell people where they can go to learn a little bit more about what you do. And maybe if they feel like, you know what, the tools and things I'm using are, are maybe not working or I want to improve our relationship even more. Maybe it's time to start thinking about having a coach. Take it to the next level. Yeah. So 
the, a great place to just get more familiar with my style is my podcast, Liking the People You Love. You can find it anywhere you normally listen to podcasts. I have a website. I have a great way to find me is on Instagram, Christy Davis Coaching on Instagram. I'm not super active on there. I definitely have a presence, but I go through stages where like social media, I just can't seem to get to it. But I do. Have, and you can always send me a DM if you have a question or want to, you know, want to interact with me that way. I also, this summer, I have a book coming out that I am so excited about. Oh, It's called The Power of a Faithful Mother. And I'm trying to figure out how to self-publish. So the book is all done and ready to go. And it's just me figuring out the publishing part right now. But I, I just, if I do say so myself, like I go back and read some of the things that I've written. And I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody needs this. I'm so excited for this book to come out because I really feel like it addresses some of the things we've talked about today, like fear. How do you, how do you have your faith overcome your fear? And where do we focus our energy when our kids are pushing away? What are we supposed to do about it? So a lot of helpful things in that book. So that will be a great resource too. I cannot wait for that to come out. And I feel like there's not, there's never been a more important time and, and need for faithful mothers than right now. And that we are up to the task. We can do it sometimes. We can do it. And sometimes I think for this time. Yes. Yes. And not think how are kids going to turn out? And I've had some well-meaning older people say to me like, wow, I'm so glad that I didn't raise you guys during this generation. And wow, you just wait, you just wait. It's so hard. And you think your kids are good now and, and not meaning to, but just, no, they've got good intentions. I think. (laughs) Well, or maybe feeling guilty about some things they did and projecting that on, on us. And, and so sometimes you think, yeah, how are they going to turn out? Yeah. What, what is, I mean, the jury's still out. Like, I hope they turn out. Okay. And what if, what if one of them does this? And what if one of them does that? And like, Oh yeah. You know, you have all these things to think about. And I'm like, no, can I tell I you my am, thought about that? What was that? Can I tell you my thought about that? Yes. I I don't think the jury is still out. I have decided to believe on purpose. And I could tell you lots of stories about how I got to this point, but I've decided to believe on purpose that my kids are going to turn out amazing. Every one of them. They're going to take different roads to get there, but I just choose to believe that they're going to be happy, healthy, thriving, amazing adults. Because... I like how I show up as their mom when I believe that about them. Then the relationship is so much more fun. I don't need to manipulate or control them. And they take their cues from me. If I believe that about them, then even when they're struggling with their self-esteem or they don't know how they're going to turn out, they can trust that I've got this vision of them being amazing. And it helps them to keep that vision of them being amazing. I want to just say a big fat amen to that. Yeah. What, what do you do if you feel like you haven't said that to your kids? Is it too late to start that belief now? Nope. Never too late. Start it right now. And I decided with one of my kids in particular, when he was about 13, 13 is when it started. But by the time he was 15, I was like, oh my gosh, I see no way that this child is ever going to succeed. And it was taking a huge toll on our relationship and on his self-esteem. Like, this is not even the one that I was talking about. This is a different one. And I just decided, Elder or President Nelson told us to seek and expect miracles. I decided uh, that's what I was going to do. I'm just going to expect that a miracle is going to happen and this kid's going to turn out great. Well, guess what happened? A miracle. Somebody intervened that I didn't even know before that I could not possibly have foreseen this mentor for this kid that totally took him under his wing, turned his life around. 
So I think if we expect miracles and we're watching for them, they're going to happen. And I oh. think our kids are going to be great. I'm so glad you said that. That's exactly what I needed to hear today. And I want to end it on that. Just amen. Yeah. Let's not be fearful. Let's, let's, let's be trusting and faithful yeah. that our kids are going to be amazing. And they were also safe for this day. And they are up to the challenge to meet any and every trial that they're going to face that Satan yeah. can throw at them. Because Heavenly Father didn't save the weak ones for the last. Nope. nope. Can I? Can we end it with my favorite parenting scripture? We do. It's in the Doctrine and Covenants section 123, verse 17. And it says, I'm going to substitute our names in there. Instead of dearly beloved brethren, it says, therefore, dearly beloved parents in Zion, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power. And then may we stand back with the utmost assurance for the arm of the Lord to be revealed. Oh, I, I think that's all we need to do. We cheerfully do everything in our power. And then we just wait and watch. And the Lord's going to take care of the rest. And he'll, because ultimately it is not us that will save our children. It's the mm -hmm. Savior, Jesus Christ. Yep. He knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. I love that so much, Christy. I'm so grateful that we were able to talk today. This you have so helped me personally so much. <laughs> and I cannot wait for other people to listen to your podcast and for your book to come out. Again, <laughs> it's you. called Liking the People You Love. Take mm -hmm. a listen. Go to your website. Tell us again what it's called. Your website. The, the website is And Christy is spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-I. Yes. Christy Davis coaching.com. Okay. And follow along and let's all just be confident in the yeah. mothers that we are. Oh, and and not even just confident in ourselves, but confident in the Lord because he's the one ultimately who's, he's got the power to do anything he wants. Exactly. He can take care of it. Absolutely. Completely true. Oh, thank you so much, Christy. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for all the good you are doing. Herbert, and I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing app that my whole family loves. It's called Our Turtle House, and it's full of literally thousands of hours of full-length talks, just like the old talk on CDs or talk on tapes, from some of your favorite Latter-day Saint speakers like John By the Way, Mick Johnson, Hank Smith, me, and a ton more. Plus, there's podcasts, firesides, devotionals, come follow me resources, and entertaining content your whole family will enjoy truly all in one little app and you can use promo code doing good all one word at checkout and you get a full month free so check it out and sign up at ourturtlehouse.com see you soon